The Locked and Loaded Latinos podcast is part of the Self-Defense Radio Network. All your pro-freedom podcasts in one place. You can find the Self-Defense Radio Network at sdrn.us. Some of the great shows that you'll see there are the Polite Society podcast, Self-Defense Gun Stories, Gun Freedom Radio, Riding Shotgun with Charlie, and many, many others. Thank you so much for being a listener, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 52 of the Locked and Loaded Latinos podcast. I am Rolo the Puerto Rican Pistolero, and as always, I am joined by my beautiful, lovely wife and co-host, Johanna, Latina Locked and Loaded. How are you doing this evening, my love? Excellent. All right. As you can see, we've got a slightly different setup here, and we also have a special guest this evening. Uh, we have Rob Pincus of the Personal Defense Network and uh, and many other uh I guess, uh, bona fides and, and his resume tonight to talk a little bit about uh, the state of 2A advocacy. We're continuing our series that we started a few weeks ago with Edgar Antillon. Uh, we continued it on with Maj Touré and uh, Christopher Chang. And uh, we're going to continue that this evening with Rob. Uh, we've got him for about an hour, so we're going to continue to do our normal show after, uh, after Rob leaves us, and we're going to end the show again. Uh, for with something that we haven't done in a while, our bilingual segment, we're going to start with the Declaration of Independence. Uh, since we didn't uh, have a show last week on the 4th of July, uh, we will go from there. So without further ado, uh, Rob, thanks for being on the show tonight, and how are you doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys having me back on. Uh, as I told everybody, I tell everybody that asked, you know, you guys have really accomplished so much in making your voices heard and I think inspiring others in the last you know, a little over a year, year and a half, uh, maybe approaching two years, I think, since I first knew about what you were doing, Rolo, and then uh, Joe joining you, uh, I think, early 2020, maybe publicly, or late 2019. It's just, it's been awesome watching you guys grow, and I appreciate you having me on tonight. It oh. was literally the day after, the Sunday of um, the, the two-way rally 2019. Nope. It was on a, a tram ride. What do they call that? The subway? But it's not, I don't know what they That's call right. it. Uh, it was the subway uh, coming from Arlington. Subway, and, and yeah. yeah, coming from Arlington when I made the, the decision the metro, yeah. to uh, not be the woman behind the man and, and and do it myself as well. So it was a two-way rally. Mm -hmm. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, so Sunday, it would have been Sunday the 3rd, I think, because we did that on the 2nd, yep. the first year. So that's awesome. Yep. And awesome. Uh, and I and I, you guys both had an excitement there. Like, I, I have told people, too, I think that, that Joe, what you went through – was pretty much like that, that's what we want. Like anybody who was involved in organizing that, it, we always said if we could inspire somebody to do more, right? Because the rally wasn't, it was aimed at the gun community. It was aimed at gun owners and, and wanting to inspire people. And sure, we knew other people would be watching and the messages would eventually get out. But really it was about inspiring more more talk and more discussion and more thought diversity and, and everything else that goes with the, the 30 people that spoke that day. And I think your uh, epiphany or your excitement, your enthusiasm, like all of that was like incredibly appreciated by all of us that helped put that together. So it's, it's been fun to watch. Well, thank you. And awesome. that's actually going to be a topic we're going to be talking about today. Um, the advocacy and, and its real goal. Um, because we've had this discussion with Edgar and I remember one of my posts that I made was actually a direct um, result of something that he said back when he was getting, you know, we, we, we were all there. So 
my post was change one mind and you're an advocate. So my point with that is that if you change one person, you don't know what that person's reach and that person's influence will be down the road. So that's why I think, I think, um, I think it was Katie who said, uh, when he was talking about his web of influence, it's like he's influenced all these people and then they go out and influence people and they go out and influence people. So you really, you know, your, your reach is actually in the millions when you change one mind. Mm -hmm. It can be, yeah, it's like uh, the butterfly effect, so to speak, yeah. when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. Definitely agree with that. So yeah, Rob, uh, let's bring you on. I know that you wanted to kind of participate in that state of the 2A advocacy thing. So looking kind of back, uh, Let's let's looking back from, let's say, the 2A rally, because that's kind of our starting point. Uh, where have you seen kind of advocacy in the last few years? Uh, what do you think? You've been doing this for a long time. Uh, obviously, you've seen kind of the evolution from where pretty much when you started out, if I'm not mistaken, it was pretty much a few years after Florida kind of became the first concealed carry state. And then from there, we've moved on to now. I think more than half the states of the union allow uh, basic, well, about 20 states allow now constitutional carry and even more allow, you know, uh, people to carry legally on their person, whether it's concealed or open carry. Uh, so how do you think we've kind of evolved from there and the advocacy point and comparing it with how our rights have either been more infringed or less infringed in the past couple of decades? Yeah, like I've been a, a you know, shooter, gun possessor as a, as a minor and then gun owner all my life, really. Um, you know, started out when I was very young. Uh, my dad introduced me to firearms very young. And uh, in the 80s, you know, there were still, in the late 80s, there were still 13 states that had no provision whatsoever for concealed carry. And I've talked a lot about that incredible growth that we saw through the 90s and the early 2000s with what, what we're now referred to looking back as the shall issue evolution or the shall issue revolution to where, as you said, you know, we're now about to have 21 states, including Texas, when that becomes official, uh, that we will have the citizens of that state, if they can legally own a gun, can legally carry it in a public space for the, their defense or the defense of others they care about. And that's amazing. You know, I, I could first carry legally in Vermont, which was the first permitless carrier constitutional carry state in 1990 when I moved there in the summer of 1990. And to see that change, and it was only a couple years before that, Texas had no provision for defensive carry of a pistol in public, no concealed carry. And then they went, of course, uh, shall issue with a very restrictive LTC program, one of the most structured programs in the country. And only now as the 21st state, we see them evolving. But these are gains and these are incremental gains. These are changes that have happened to regain lost freedoms in, in most cases, right? Um, David Yamane just wrote an amazing book about the history of gun control in the U.S. And really, it was, it was written as the history of concealed carry. But then when, when you look at that reverse image, you also see then, of course, the history of gun control going back to the colonies, right? Going back to rules that, that prevented people from bringing guns into the city limits, uh, rules that prevented people from carrying guns that were concealed, rules that prevented people from carrying pistols. These have been around since before we were a country. And, and to see the gains we've made to get to where we are now, with, with I, by my math, it's going to be 50 million people in this country between permitted people and people who live in permitless states will have the option of carrying a concealed gun. So I think these are huge wins and a huge positive momentum. We look at the Heller case. We look at McDon uh, the McDonald case, of course. Huge, huge wins at, at the Supreme Court level for our cause as well. And yet we have states like New York. We have states like California. We have states like Nevada. Just, uh, you know, if you, you ever would have thought Nevada was going to have a complete ban on gun making and even the possession of kits to make guns, 
you know, nobody would have seen that coming 10 years ago. So where we are right now is, is just like in almost every other way in our country, incredibly divisive, um, a lot of extremes, a lot of polarization. But that to me is the time for advocacy to thrive, right? When people have these, these really opposite opinions and think there's no common ground, this is where advocates can step into that, that what seems to be a void and, and create a real conversation. And I think that is where the leading edge and, and the best edge of the Second Amendment community is, is enforcing these difficult conversations. And, and again, I go back to the concept of thought diversity. Um, even the guests that you guys have on, right? I mean, there's a lot of thought diversity in this collection of people when, when you just look at who you've had and who you've represented, who you've given voice to, to your audience. Yeah, one of the things that we always um, uh, try to emphasize here, especially I think in the last few weeks, is that um, whether whether you agree with how certain people advocate or not, that's not going to stop them from advocating for the cause the way that they want to necessarily. So it's I, I don't want to say it's like if you can't beat them, join them mentality, but you just have to be a cognizant of the fact that like let's say people don't like the way that Rob Pincus advocates for the Second Amendment. You're not going to stop doing that unless you feel that you need to change your strategy for your own opinion based on what you see. Um, so, and just like other people, you may not agree with the way that they advocate, but they're still going to do it if they deem it effective. Uh, so I think people need to be cognizant of that and kind of just move forward regardless. Um, it is like herding cats. And I think a, a lot of people clamor for unity and ask for it. And I don't know if it's always a hundred percent necessary or at least not the way that people want it because I think they conflate unity with lockstep, a lockstep approach. And uh, that's not always effective because it leads you vulnerable. If you're in lockstep, either you have to have all your cover bases covered, which is pretty much impossible, uh, or, you know, uh, you leave yourself open to some sort of weakness at some point. I don't know, Joe, do you kind of agree with that? What do you think? I 100% agree with that. Just because we all agree on the Second Amendment doesn't mean we have to agree on other political issues. Um, mm. And I think that's a problem that we have in the gun community and this expectation of unity is, you know, we got out of um, Devin's, what's it called, the, the, the circle? That we yeah, did. the panel that we the did at the Train and Learn. At, mm -hmm. uh, Katie's Train and Learn. And one of the conversations was about unity. And if, as soon as I got out of there, my conversation in the, in the backseat of the car was, <laughs> that's never happening. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, I, I, I like the fact that we're trying um, at least we need to be civil with each other, but that's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have people who are, you know, for instance, like I, I, I came from the left. I, I, it's one of the things I was open about was always, you know, I was a hardcore animal rights activist. Uh, when I went to ambassador Academy, I became friends with Connie Brooks, who is a, um, sports hunter. That's one of the things that I do not believe in. And I mean, right. she wears a necklace with the, the claws of some animal in, embedded in gold. We became friends because we found common ground. And that's, that's all we really need to do. We, we can't expect that we're going to be like every conversation we're ever going to have, we're going to be friends on. We're going to agree on because that's just not how, how we are as humans. Mm -hmm. Let's just agree that we agree on this and then that's it and just be civil. Yep. It's incredibly important. Even even inside of the Second Amendment umbrella, we're going to have disagreements about certain things. And some of it's superficial and fun, you know, Glock versus 1911, whatever. But then some of the stuff is very important and very 
conceptual, right? And and some there's some philosophy, there's some philosophical differences. I mean, you know, um, Alan Gura, the, the the attorney that that uh, has obviously won us a lot of great wins. He has even said some things that are very controversial about the fact that Second Amendment community sometimes thinks that they're going to have their cake and eat it too. And the reality is, you know, there are going to be fights that we're going to not be happy with the way they turn out, but we still have to go out and fight these battles in court. Um, you know, Antonin Scalia saying that in the Heller decision, yeah, but there are restrictions that are okay. A lot of us don't believe that that's the case. A lot of us don't think that restrictions are okay. And yet the Supreme Court case that we all celebrate and, and wave a flag under um, explicitly from a very conservative justice says that he believes historically restrictions are okay. And that's these are all very controversial things when, when you go to like the meme level or the comment section and things like that. Um, you know, the unity word, it's its just at this point, it's become uh, a little bit of a feel good kind of word to me. Um, you know, even Devin's example, right? He, he wanted a unity forum, but he didn't want to invite everybody to it. So it's very, very hard to take the word seriously unless what you mean is let's just not worry about always agreeing and unify under Second Amendment is a amendment that protects us keeps the government from infringing upon our individual right to keep and bear arms. If we can agree on that, we'll hash out the details and be a unified front against those who might think it's a collective right, which the Supreme Court's obviously disagreed with, or against those who think we should get rid of the Second Amendment because it's antiquated and outdated. Well, we, dis we all disagree with them, and that's really the best unity we're going to have. Cool. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I think... Uh that's pretty much, I think a realistic approach is really the best way to do it. Um, and I think, you know, people just need to be a little bit more cognizant of that. That's like, like Joe said, she came from a different background. You know, she kind of evolved her position and I think most people have, and I think being realistic about it, like I'd like to say that I'm more on the absolutist spectrum of the second amendment. Um, but I also am realistic that it takes time to get to that place uh, and it takes a lot of work. And I think that there's multiple ways to get there. I think that we've been seeing uh, more of a state's rights approach now with, you know, s states taking different approaches to Second Amendment sanctuary, whether that has teeth or not. I think that remains to be seen. Uh, and I think it will be a test. I think it's a step in the right direction to at least start testing the waters and seeing if that's an effective tactic where states start taking into their own hands. Because I think a lot of people also don't realize that the Supreme Court's not always right. I mean, they decided, I would say that they decided immorally in the Dred Scott decision. I think almost anybody would agree with that uh, over 100 years ago. So I think uh, the Supreme Court is sometimes wrong in their, in their assessments. And I think part of the checks and balances are that we do have a republic where states have certain autonomy and sovereignty. And ultimately, they do have almost their own voice democratically. That's why they used to appoint their own senators from the state legislatures not had, you know they weren't directly elected because the founders themselves thought, well, we can have the people choose the house of representatives. We'll have the state legislatures choose the senators. And then that gives both parties a state of the game. It gives the states their power and their sovereignty, and it gives the people a say. And I think a lot of people have forgotten that. I think that's a change that kind of moved for the negative and it kind of started warping kind of the power, the federalist powers. That's kind of a different topic, but I think it, it, kind of affects the landscape that we're in today and a lot of people don't realize Absolutely. that i think it's important to remember that while we we see states some states going you know kind of our way it's important to remember that the state's right path states rights path is also sort of 
wrought with potential problems for the people that are in the states that aren't going to, you know, quote unquote, go our way. Of course. So I do think it's important that we have a, a federal uh, overarching umbrella that is clearly a, an individual rights position on the Second Amendment that limits government power, including the power of the states. Yep. And, and honestly, you know, when we look at the sanctuary movement, it hasn't delivered yet, right? It, mm -hmm. it looks great. It sounds great. It's a great fundraiser. It's a great, you know, get out the vote strategy, but it really hasn't delivered. We're still seeing people arrested. We're still seeing ERPOs served. Um, you know, Kansas played the, the same game that Texas is playing right now in a different way, uh, granted, but they tried to make it, you know, well, if the suppressor is inside the state, federal law doesn't apply. And there are guys that have federal felony convictions now because they, you know, went down that road and, yep. and it, it didn't play out that way. So I think we have to be a little bit careful about the state's rights approach and really fight for the big prize and, and be willing to, to fight. And as you said, the Supreme Court's not always right. I think what a civil society does is, is, is we say, we may not agree with this Supreme Court, but we're going to keep going back to try to get it right in the way that we envision this country, right? We, we can't say, well, we're not going to abide by that law because we think the Supreme Court got it wrong, right? Unless you're ready to go all the way to civil disobedience, and that's a whole nother conversation, mm -hmm. right? But a lot of the guys I see with the will not comply t-shirts, you know, they have 40, they're filling out 4473s, they have concealed carry permits, and they're not standing on their capital steps with unlicensed and unregistered NFA items saying, go ahead and arrest me. So- they're, you know, I don't know the guy that's not really complying that, that has a YouTube channel or whatever, right? Yeah, I think that's part of the problem sometimes that um, people want others to advocate for the way that they want it, but they're not willing to advocate themselves for what they want. And I think that's a serious problem where I'm all for if, if there are guys that want to do that, more power to them. Like you said, they should go out there and do that if they actually believe it. And it might make a difference, but if they're not doing it, they're not doing it. All they're doing is talking on the internet and it's not really making any difference or contributing to that. Joe, is there, you want to jump in there? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think that's, that's pretty much what, what there is to it. Now, I know a, a lot of people have, uh, 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 certain opinions about, uh, how you've tried to kind of, I don't know if it's reaching across the aisle, but your relationship obviously with, uh, Dan Gross and the Brady campaign and all that stuff. If you want to talk about uh, some of the efforts that you've gone through there, I think a lot of people can look at your interview that you had with Maj and, um, and John Crump from a couple of months ago, and I think you hashed things out uh, with that. But if you have any updates, if you guys have actually done anything, pushed down that path, or if you've spoken with Dan, I'm trying to get more updates and positive things from that uh, if you have yeah. anything to say or if that's it hasn't gone much from there since those articles well i just i think it's important to to clarify right because a lot of times the way you just asked that question is the way it's sort of passed around and then it becomes this apocryphal story that it has a it's, it's like um you guys heard uh the roy hill's pr uh, presentation on propaganda yeah. right at the because uh, the bureau of propaganda that he does such a great job with on the marketing and promotion side and he, he talked about defining propaganda and propaganda is like 97 percent true with a spin and the spin might not even be untrue it's just let's let's make sure that we're, we got something based on fact but we're going to emphasize the part we want well, the problem with the way you introduce the question is, you know, you're reaching across the hour. What are you? I'm not sure what you're doing. Something with Dan Gross and the Brady campaign. Well, here's the problem. I didn't even meet Dan Gross until well over a year after he had stopped being president of the Brady campaign. Right. So I've had like zero contact with the Brady campaign other than sort of uh, poking the bear a little bit and tagging them every once in a while on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Right. Like I have had no meetings, no contact. This was the stuff like John Crump was asking. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge difference between helping the guy who left Brady out of frustration, right? And these, this is 
I meet the guy and you're like, yeah, I don't work with that group anymore. I don't even work with any pro gun control. I'm into this thing about like trying to help people be more responsible. And we actually met because we were both hired by a company as consultants on a project. And in a Zoom meeting, he sort of like right away set the bar of, hey, I don't know what you've heard about me. I don't know what you think about me. I don't know if you know anything about me, but I just understand I'm not with Brady, not with Brady for reasons. And moving forward, I have no interest in working with people that might be disingenuous. And in his experience, a lot of people have been disingenuous about their, quote unquote, respect for the Second Amendment or respect for gun owners. And he feels that, for example, like assault weapon ban, completely ridiculous, magazine capacity limits. That not going to save anybody's lives. Like these kinds of restrictions just aren't the path that he wants to go down ever. Um, for people that don't know his background, his brother was uh, shot and put into a coma, and his best, brother's best friend was killed in a mass shooting incident in the late 90s. And that's how he got into, you know, the gun control world. And he'll admit he said some things in that emotion that were extreme. I mean, at one point he was saying, you know, guns shouldn't be in, you know, handguns shouldn't be in the hands of anybody but the police and military. And, you know, just like, you, you know, like Joe, you said you've evolved your position on this. Well, Dan Gross has evolved his position on this. You guys, uh, I don't know if you met him, but you, you at least heard him speak at the 2A rally. When, if you, like, ask, right, if you like, sit in a room with a bunch of gun guys and you're like, hey, what if we could get the former president of the most powerful organization in the gun control world to refute his former strategies and show up and say, this is not the way we're going to win. The way we're actually going to save lives, if that's the win, is working with gun owners to maybe make sure the kids can't get their hands on the guns and somebody with mental health issues is getting the mental health that they, help that they need and not carrying a gun around when they can't control their rage, that there's probably better ways than legislation and restriction. It seems to me like that's high fives all around, but also people would say there's no way you're ever going to do that. Well, we did that with the 2A rally, right? We, I mean, go watch the video, right? Breitbart uh, streamed it live. It's out there with hundreds of thousands of views. So it was a little bit of a shock to me when I co-authored an article with him, which was a means to an end that we obviously chose to publish and chose it wasn't like a leak. It wasn't like, ah, what's that? What's that all about? And in that article, we outline like three potential strategies and talk about working with gun owners, talk about education, talk about awareness. And a statement is in there about of all, kind of like the, the, the paraphrase is of all the possible things you could do to legislate, background checks might have the most legitimacy. That, that would be the most effective way to try to keep the wrong people from getting their hands on guns. My asterisk on that is, yeah, but if we improve the background check system and if we exclude like millions of people that are, can legally carry guns, including everybody in the permitless carry states, essentially what SAF and a lot of other people tried to do with Mansion Toomey. Right, eight, 10 years ago, uh, there was an attempt to reform the background check system. And something along those lines, and I ended up writing an article or doing an interview, I guess, and writing out all the things uh, for tr Truth About Guns. People can see all that. The reason I have the position statement screen up behind me, um, people can go to 2AO.org or gunrights.info. If you have any questions about uh, my positions or Second Amendment organizations, positions on gun rights issues, you just go there. So if you're, you know, somebody in the comment section is like, I heard Rob's four magazine capacity limits. Nope. And it's all written up very clearly there. I heard Rob's pro red flag law. Nope. And the details are all up there. Uh, background checks, universal background checks. So I think it's really important to be to be genuine, and I appreciate you, you know, kind of opening the floor to let me talk about that whole incident. To be really genuine about what's going on, is is Rob trying to make inroads 
with Dan Gross in front of people who off the cuff would be what we would consider very pro-gun control and help them understand that there's a way better way to do this through organizations like Walk the Talk America, through uh, Hold My Guns, working with Gun Owners Care, working with Kids Safe Foundation, working with Faster Saves Lives, working with anybody that's doing you know, defensive training and responsibility training for families. That's a way better way to get gun owners to you know, up the ante even more than we already have on responsibility than trying to legislate responsibility upon us. And, and so we're making that pitch together. Um, he actually, the means to the end of the article in Ammo Land was an op-ed that he did uh, for the New York Times. And that was published a couple weeks later. And it was incredibly well received. And I think when people read it, he's calling out the gun control people. And he's saying, stop asking for assault weapon bans. Stop talking about magazine capacity limits. These things aren't going to save any lives. So when you have the former Brady campaign president saying these things, we should be high-fiving, but there's so much emotion around it, and there's so much toxicity, and there's so many people that are scared and angry and afraid to trust anybody, let alone somebody who used to be a very outspoken advocate for gun rights restrictions. I get why people can't, can't find it in, in their heart to trust that, but the evidence is there. And as you know, Joe, people do evolve. Mm -hmm. Go for it. You've been quiet, Joe. No, I'm just waiting for... Um part where we talk about different stuff yes okay <laughs> not not this uh joe's not into the politics as much uh but uh but yeah i think uh i, I think it's a pragmatic approach i think that a lot of people here's the way that i look of, of, about things some of the best conversations i've had with people are people that are like far left-wing communists sometimes and it's because if you're confident in your own... He's talking about my best friend, yeah. which I, we always talk about. On that yeah, if, if you're confident in your own beliefs, then I think people are afraid that other ideas will infect them. When yeah. really you should be looking at the worst thing that can happen is that you won't convince them to your side, which means that you it was a zero-sum game. Like nothing bad happened at that point. They didn't agree with you in the first place. You tried to have an, uh, an, a discussion with them if you were civil and you did their best and they still don't buy into it, then there's nothing you can do about that. It is what it is. Um, now, if they do uh, you know, speak to you and you disagree with them too, then it's the same thing. They didn't win that argument. So I think people are afraid of almost like thought contagion, that even hearing other ideas or other viewpoints like will infect them or make them less than when you can still have your position and be like, okay, Dan, I agree. So you're, you're telling them, uh, not to push the assault weapons uh, ban and all of this stuff, but I still don't agree with background checks at all. And then it's like, well, right. okay, but you can work from there. It's not well, a big deal. Exactly. And, and maybe you'll never, uh, you'll never agree with them, but maybe they'll make headway and things won't be as bad in the future. So even if you are the kind of person that's like, well, I'm not going to go comply anyway. Well, it doesn't really matter to you anyway, because if you're walking around, matter. you don't comply right now. You're not going to comply with less restrictive laws. So it's, kind of irrelevant to you <laughs> it is. and i think it's really important to remember like he so in the conversation about background checks when i first broke down for him what the end of private transfers means like the, i saw the light bulb go off like like in the bubble that he was having the conversations the the argument of universal background checks like why is it such a big deal 80 percent of gun owners say they're okay with background checks 
Like, yeah, I mean, even even our own community, we celebrate the number of background checks every month to brag about how much we're complying. But also, obviously, we're really bragging about the number the of numbers, people yeah. about purchasing guns through dealers. Well, but it's also a compliance, right? So the same people that are like, will not comply, shall not comply, background checks are horrible, are using the stats to pump up our morale. And it, it, to me, those kinds of quandaries, those like, I, I, I call it preferences over principles. Like, if your principles are nobody should be doing background checks, then please don't put out your next meme celebrating the background checks. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's... And, and the, what has to happen, here's what I think is a really incredibly important concept for people to, to just try to like have a minute with. Advocacy happens outside of the group of people you already agree with. Like, it, advocacy isn't a meme. Advocacy isn't how many likes your video gets. Advocacy isn't a fundraising campaign inside of the community. The advocacy happens outside of the community. Lobbying. You, you, people stood in the lobby of the hotel that Ulysses S. Grant was living in while he was president and met him as he came through and tried to convince them of the policy issues they, were, they thought were important and, and to, see it, his, you know, to see it their way. Right. That's where the word lobbying comes from. You don't you don't cheerlead like there's an importance to fund. Don't get me wrong. I get it. You need to fundraise. We need to do all these things. We need to do all that, that cheering. And it's fun. And, and it builds our businesses. Those of us who have businesses related to traffic and likes and clicks and all that stuff. It's part of it. But the real advocacy is done when you're in the room talking to the person that doesn't agree with you. And a lot of people don't want to hear about that. Like you said, they're afraid. And I don't know that they're afraid like I'm going to get turned anti-gun. But there's this idea that somehow, for example, if I were to go on CNN, somebody's going to like say, well, Rob, you're just legitimizing their perspective. They aren't even really they're, – they're not credible. Their CNN's full of lies. How could you legitimize them by going on a CNN show and talking about guns? And it's like, man, 53% of like English-speaking – English speakers on the planet get their news from CNN. Like the idea that, that you think I legitimize them by going on Anderson Cooper's show is, is kind of silly. I'm not that important. The show is already legitimate. I think our voice needs to be heard there, right? Right now at the Gunmakers match, we had Vice News come out and do uh, some media, and they're going to be producing a piece that's going to come out the end of July, beginning of August. And a lot of people are like, Rob, how could you take that chance? I'm like, look, who do you think is watching Vice News that's super pro-gun, that's if they make it a hit piece on gun making, is suddenly going to change their mind and not be pro-gun anymore? You know, it's like you said. I don't think that person exists. Like, there's nobody that's super pro-gun that's going to watch a Vice documentary on the gun makers match and decide now they're anti-gun. But we might win two or three or five or 50,000 people over to, oh, you mean ghost guns aren't just a ploy to get around government observation and it's not just something criminals are doing? There's, like, people having fun with it and it's craft and it's a hobby and it's enjoyable and it's just another extension of gun education and responsible gun ownership? Oh, never mind. I, I thought ghost guns were just bad. And that's what we're hoping for. And that's why we have to leave our bubble and have these conversations outside of the space. Well, and I think one of the other things that we advocate for and that we talk about all the time, at least Joe and I always talk about, is that most uh, people need to look at the gun community itself and realize that most gun owners aren't pro-2A. They might be pro-gun, but they don't understand the what the Second Amendment really is all about. They just kind of take it for granted. I know I, I came from that background more than Joe, where I was... I took gun rights for granted because I was like, they're never going to take these things away, so I don't really need to worry about it that much. And then it was when essentially the Republican Party backstabbed us in Florida and voted for more gun control. I was like, okay, so either party, when it's politically expedient for them, is going to is going to screw us over if the opportunity arrives because they don't really stand for any principles. So clearly I need to stand up for principles 
and let other people know that that's what I believe in because nobody else is going to do it for me. Uh, and that, that really is what changed my perspective on things. Um, and I think it, it helped change Joe's perspective as well. That's actually um, some, a topic that we bring up all the time on the show. Well, I bring up on, on the show. Um, I'm not too interested or I don't think it's, it's going to be uh, worth the effort to try to work on, you know, I'm not going to change David Hogg's mind. I'm not going to change Shannon Watt's mind. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they post, whatever. They're lost causes to me that will never understand freedom um, and the importance of it. The people that I think that we should be working on, our biggest audience that we should be targeting, is actually the new gun owners and gun owners that exist that don't care about their rights. I can't tell you how many times I have spoken to, not to target cops, but cops who, you know, can't tell you how many times they'll, they'll be like pro-con, pro-gun, they're wearing a two-way hat, and we're having a conversation and they know nothing about um, what's going on in gun control laws. Um, they're completely ignorant. They know they don't know how to go right to, you know, when there's an ATF, the comment section. They know nothing. So I feel like that's actually what we should be working on. And that's why I feel like I, I you know, I have very strong emotions, about, you know, about very mixed emotions about working with the left um, and not to make it political, but working with the anti-gun, I should say, um, side. Well, and, and I think part Versus, of that, yeah, yeah I, and I think part of that also comes from, obviously, us being the locked and loaded Latinos. We try not to make things about race, but we do have a different perspective, especially living in South Florida, that we do kind of have an aversion to leftism and totalitarianism. And for us, it's become less about left and right, and it's more about authoritarianism versus pro-freedom. I, I, yeah, again, I don't like to make it about left and right because we had this conversation a long time ago, uh, well, actually not that long a time ago, during the election where one of my best friends is now a new gun owner and she voted for Biden. And then Alonzo's initial reaction was anger and mine was too for like the first you know, few hours. But then I got over it and she's a, a project I'm working on. Um, I can't just get mad at her. I have to give her a chance. Um, but that's where I say I don't like to make things political because I give people a chance because I came from the left as well. It took me a long time. But go ahead. I know where you're going with this, so I want you to continue with that. Oh, yeah. No, that uh, for, uh, for us, it's like a very anti-authoritarian issue, and it becomes a little bit more political only because we've seen the strategies that have been used in South America, Cuba, Venezuela, and it always starts as a good faith argument about, you know, it always starts with altruism. And it's like, we need to do things for people's safety. We need to give people more resources. We need to do this. And it always ends with, well, we're going to stab you in the back and we're going to take away your rights. So anytime that we hear the same argument of like, let's, let's have a peace offering, let's go there. It's like, well, we know the other side is not stupid. And they've also gotten to the point where, and I think the right has done this. I think the, the Republican Party has actually perpetrated this almost more than the left in many ways because I think that the anti-gun left is always very open about their position, about like, yeah, we, we the, the hardcore anti-gun side is we don't think people should own guns, people aren't responsible enough, only the government should have that power. So they, we already know where they stand. The subversion that I have is with, or the problem that I have is how the Republicans have subverted things, and I think they've almost taken advantage of the goodwill of people on the right in that they know that we believe in the Constitution, they know that we believe in these institutions, 
and that for the most part we were honorable and patriotic, at least stereotypically that's kind of where it goes. So they use that against us and they say it all the time of like, well, if you don't vote for us, they're going to take away all your rights, but we're also really not going to do that much when we're in power to advocate for those, for those rights. There's a lot of truth to that. For yeah. Sure. They, they wave the flag, but at the same time, Patriot Act, like yeah. talk about freedom, you know, but at the same time, you know, there's, there's a lot of social issues. I mean, we still have to decide if we want to have a medical marijuana card or an FFL, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or, or we want to have, a, if I'm in Colorado, do I want to invest in a buddy of mine with a buddy of mine who's making tens of thousand dollars a month uh, in a grow operation, or do I want to continue to be a partner in Avidity Arms and have a manufacturer's licenses? So we're, so we're still playing choose your freedom. And a lot of these freedom choices uh, fall at the feet of the conservatives as much as uh, the feet of the, the leftists or the liberals. So, so I think that we have to be really honest about that. Like who's for liberty, who's for freedom? And maybe we're not going to agree. Maybe there's some people who are super pro-gun, but also super anti-legalization of marijuana. Okay, we don't have to agree. Now, I'm, I'm not a marijuana freedom advocate, but I would like to see it taken off the schedule so that people have the option. I'm not as a cop and as a human, I see the damage alcohol does, right? And I don't see a lot of that kind of damage coming out of marijuana. And I've lived at least part-time in Colorado for 18 years, 19 years now. Uh, it's just it's just not the same, you know? It's, a much, it's much less damaging in almost every way that I can see. And mm-hmm. when you talk to police officers, they'll tell you a lot of the same things. So why are we having this argument still in 2021 um, just like, and again, it becomes a state's rights issue. So I think that you can look at what's going on in the marijuana world, look at what's going on, and that's the angle that I think Texas is now trying with the suppressors is, well, if Colorado can get away with with weed, Texas should be able to do it with suppressors. Let's have this fight. I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out, but but at the same time, let's not pretend that, that the conservatives are the only ones who own freedom. I mean, the word conservative doesn't really scream freedom for the most part, but I think you're right. It's very disingenuous to cry freedom and, and liberty and what you really mean is equalization and tyranny. Yeah. And, and I think more and more people are starting to see that because I think uh, whether people like it or not, I do think that some people voted for Biden do have a little bit of buyer's remorse when they see certain things that are happening. Um, I think that, uh, and I think it was interesting because there was a discussion. I don't know if anybody watches Tim Pool here. I know I'm a big fan of his show. But he had Charlie Kirk, who's part of Turning Point USA, and Charlie Kirk is con- is traditionally extremely conservative. And, uh, you know, Charlie Cook asked Tim. Tim has always considered himself a liberal. He cut his teeth back in the Occupy Wall Street days reporting in the field. And, you know, Charlie Kirk was like, Tim, you seem to agree with us on all these principles. Why don't you consider yourself a conservative? And he's like, Charlie. It's, it's not that my position has changed. It's like yours, you're, you're the one whose position has actually evolved. He's like, because I was always against the Patriot Act. I was always against corporatization and the collusion of the government and, and corporate, uh, you know, corporate entities and things like that. I, he's like, I always believed that you should restrict big companies. Now you're the ones coming out saying that big tech needs to be muzzled and things like that. And it's like your position is the one that's changed. And I think a lot of conservatives are afraid to look at that and see that their positions have changed. And it's not, and that in itself is an evolution. I used to be a hardcore pro, pro-Iraq pro war neocon, and I told people about that. Uh, and I've been honest about that. Now I've moved more towards like a small L libertarianism. I still don't trust the libertarian party itself. And I'm actually, I really can't consider myself a libertarian because of the way that I feel about, you know, the border. And even uh, at this point, I think that corporations should have restrictions on them to a certain extent because I do think that social media 
has gotten to a point where they're so unprecedented that they col- there's too much political involvement between social media and the government. And it doesn't matter whether it's the left or right. I think that they've already crossed a line where it's become, it's, they're not really a private business anymore. They're a private business that deals too much in the public space and has too much influence on politics. So I think I that's know, where they kind of cross I, the line. That, to me, that, that may be where you and I disagree because, because yeah. I, you know, that may be other things too, but like, like to me, that sounds a lot like, well, the forefathers couldn't have known about AR-15s, right? And what, now those guns are so powerful, we can't let individuals have them. Like that's kind of what it sounds like you're doing to a big well, tech no. business guy who becomes super powerful and super influential from the private sector. And you're saying, well, you're so powerful. Now we have to come in and restrict well, you. Well, I think the issue comes with the fact that we've seen corporate collusion at this point where there is no doubt that let's take the parlor example. What big tech did to parlor was collusion. There is no doubt they already have the proof and we have evidence now that shows that Facebook was actually allowing more communications for what happened on January 6th than Parler did. In fact, Parler went to the feds and sure. let them know we're seeing this stuff. But what happened, Amazon, Facebook, and Twitter all colluded against Parler and they used the government's power. Basically, the government could have said, you guys can't really do this. What you're doing is you know, essentially wrong. Or, you know, there's, there are other things there. We, we knew essentially that the government was tipping their scale and said, well, we think that these people should be essentially taken out. And big tech indulged them. So whether they have uh, yeah, a, an yeah, agenda yeah, or not, I think that we've gotten to a point where it's almost a moral conundrum where I, I don't agree that the gun issue is equivalent because that's almost like saying then everybody should own nuclear weapons. And I, I'm not that kind of absolutist because I think weapons of mass destruction cause indiscriminate damage. And I think that's where I draw my line in the Second Amendment, that if you have weapons that cause indiscriminate damage that you cannot control the outcome, I can control bullets downrange. I can't control nuclear fallout or biological weapons. Can't do it. So that's kind of where I draw the line there. So, it's, it's, it's so I almost argument. feel like it's gotten to the point where these private companies have nuclear weapons because of the amount of clout that they have, the money that they have, the communications that they have, and the fact that the internet now has almost become the public forum because you do not, just how we've been able to gain our voice in the Second Amendment community through the power of social media, I think that social media started with altruistic means, but a lot of the people on the, on the spectrum of big tech had certain political bends that they had and then when they started seeing a diversity of ideas on the internet they themselves didn't like that because they saw things that they didn't like and people that they didn't agree with and after a while i think it becomes very seductive and lucrative when you can start silencing people that you don't like to hear even if it's for the point of i just find them annoying and that starts out that simply and it gets to the point where you can basically silence a world leader. And whether you agree with them or not, I think that that's a very dangerous proposition. And I think a lot of world leaders saw that too. And it's ironic that we see this uh, kind of the struggle between the private sector and big tech. And I do think it does affect all everything that we do politically. Um, and I think that's part of what takes away the trust. I think right now what we have, especially in the Second Amendment community, and if you want to call it the right, the right wing side of the Second Amendment community, maybe that's the right way to say it. Um, there's, there's just a, a suspicion and a lack of trust in all institutions, whether that is the media, 
the uh, big tech or the government itself. I think that there's just a certain lack of trust. Oh. And it's when ex- you say some of that same group, like they do trust in the church, though, for example, like some of those people that fall into those categories still believe in. Oh, we lost your camera there, Rob. Um, still believe okay. in, uh, you know, the organizations of their churches, whatever their churches may be. I see that a lot in the conservative world. I see. And that's why I'm big on like preferences and principles, that conversation. You know, and I think it comes down to it, it is a moral conundrum yeah. when you when you are you're, you're you're praising, you know, everybody should read that the shrugged. But then you also want the government to interfere with big business because it's too big and too powerful now. I, I think that that is a quandary. Well, I, I think it is a quandary until you realize that big business is colluding directly with the government. So they're not really a private sector anymore. If we had a, se- I think you almost need a separation of powers, just like we have within the government, uh, between the uh, the state and private sector. Because I think that now, especially when you have the private sector that they're able to collect intelligence that even the CIA and the NSA that we willingly give them that nobody has ever had. And you can argue, and a lot of people do, I think the libertarians argue somewhat naively, well, you agree to the terms of service. That's like, well, let's be perfectly honest. The terms of service are just like an article in the newspaper. The headline says one thing and the article says another. So the terms of service, you may be like, well, yeah, obviously I'm not going to do illegal stuff on your platform. You can kick me off for this. But then it gets very specific of basically they make it so ambiguous that they can essentially decide, well, this doesn't seem like I'm, I'm violating the toss, but it's like, no, it's whatever our mood is that day. And I think that ambiguity and the fact that you can see that. I do think there's, there's reality. The fact that we're signing these agreements and if we're not comfortable with the outcome, then we probably shouldn't be signing the agreements. And that's what parlor I think tried to do was say, okay, we'll give you another space. Problem is they just ham fisted their business model and and then they lost to the bigger players. And I agree that, the other social media platforms obviously work together to say, okay, we're going to knock this off. But, you know, the three, you know, I don't know, pick, pick any business in any small town. At what level do you decide that those three auto shops can't put the fourth auto shop out of business? I, I just think it's a very slippery slope, dangerous precedent to say the government needs to step in here and protect us, especially from our small L libertarian, not the libertarian party, but libertarian mindset, which is entrepreneurial and live and let die and live and let live. And I'm going to be over here looking out for me and mine. And I don't owe you anything and you don't owe me anything. It just gets dangerous. And I think some of this is kind of a metaphor for the gun rights conversation too, right? Because again, the principle to me is very much the same, right? I recognize that freedom isn't safe. I recognize that businesses could get powerful and, and affect what I see and what I can share but shame on me, I gotta start my own business or find my own way to get that information out if I want to, in the same way that I recognize that the guns I own, something bad could happen with them, the guns I make, the guns that I sell, something bad could happen with them, but I take that risk willingly because of the freedom that that allows it to happen. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, give me a second here. I'm checking through the chat to see if anybody's got uh, any I'm questions. Kind of, I'm not paying almost no attention to chat, but I thought I would. would. Mm-hmm. Somebody's burning something down. Oh, uh, I think they're talking about big tech and all that stuff. Oh. If we just burn down big tech. The chat's been mostly about your lack of sound and my silence. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I hear it good. I, I'm sure the audio podcast is going to find out fine. I, I'll figure out the output. Rob, can you hear me fine? Is that good I on your... I can hear you fine, but, it, but Joe is still a little light. Yeah, it's because you got to be really close to the mic with these new mics. So I miss my old mic. <laughs> I know where you sounded I'm louder. Old too, so it could just be me. 
Maybe I don't. Maybe the, the frequency of Joe's voice isn't in my. I'm not hearing it in my old ears. Yeah. So time check. We do have. Uh, yeah, we only have Rob minutes. for about another. Uh, 15, 20 minutes. 15, 20 minutes. So, 15, 20, yeah. Yeah, so let's go on from there. And I guess, uh, Joe, you can kind of ask some questions you want to go to. We, uh, For those of you that are kind of recap, we talked a little bit about what we think the state of advocacy is, and we kind of went on this tangent here with uh, kind of big tech government overreach and how we think uh, the approach is to, uh, you know, speak with other people. We talked a little bit about uh, Dan Gross and the Brady campaign and the article that Rob uh, helped co-write. And now we'll uh, move on to the next topic. Um, I did promise some hard-hitting questions. Okay, I'm ready. I got, I'm got. i going to have another sip of Monster. Go for it. By the way, I think you t- drink way too many of those. I'm a little bit worried about you. A lot you. of people do. The problem is I keep going. I get, like, my physicals or I get my blood work done and, you know, everything's fine. And doctors are like, oh, you must work out a lot and, you know, you're taking care of yourself. And I'm like, oh, gee, that's the worst thing you could tell me. It's like, it's like surviving an IRS audit without saving any receipts. Like, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I'm Teflon. I'm good. <laughs> Um, where do I go from here? So, um, I think you're aware a lot of people hate you. People who don't know me, to be fair. Only a few people who know me hate me. Um, I wanted to start with, why do you think people hate you so much? What do you, what do you think you're doing that turns people off? Uh, not, not worrying about what they, not worrying about them being turned off. Right? Like, I mean, isn't that always the thing, right? I mean, you can find... Find, pick somebody you think is popular, somebody's going to hate them, right? I mean, I don't care if it's if it's Lady Gaga, Ben Affleck, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump. So it doesn't mean anything that somebody doesn't like your opinion or like your strategy or like the way you dress. Like, it literally means nothing. And it, but you also have to remember, it also literally means nothing that somebody likes the way you dress or likes your songs or likes your movies or likes your books or likes your class. And if you take that out of the equation... Now you're now you're speaking truth. You're speaking your truth, right? And and you're sharing it, and you're acting out in, in, in your own integrity. And that I think scares the crap out of a lot of people because they're used to people who are who are more I think beholden, right, to something or to some group or care a lot maybe about whether someone likes them or not. And and I really care about achieving my goals. If I'm if I'm wooing someone, right, like I care about her liking me. But if, if but I just I don't walk down the street dressed so that people that see me walking down the street like me. I wear the clothes I want to wear, and if somebody doesn't like it, I might want to get into a really interesting conversation with them about it, or if somebody wants to give me a compliment, I might appreciate it, but it's just not what motivates me, and I think that really bothers a lot of people. Um, I'll be honest. I I haven't made up my mind about you. Fair enough. <laughs> but, but you still but, win. See, this is what's funny about that is you can have that opinion, and yet, I know what influence the two A rally had on you, and I know that that's a win. And I will, I'll go. You can hate me. You can tell me you hate me right now, and I'm going to say, yeah, but I still won. You're a gun rights advocate because you came to the two A rally. Mm-hmm. Yay me! And that bothers people. Mm-hmm. The reason I say that I haven't made up my mind about you is because my experience so far has been a positive one. Um, but your reputation has reached my ears in some areas that just made me. Um, question a little bit and wanted to ask you about those questions. I mean, I know we're going to have other questions, but the one I wanted to talk about was your reputation as a trainer um, and how that correlates with you being an advocate. Um, so I don't know if you're aware. Uh, there are accounts out in the world that you are a little bit harsh, uncivil, 
disrespectful when you are a trainer. There are accounts of, I have heard, um, guns being taken away from students, being thrown at the berm. I have heard snapped on the back of the head. I have heard sit down. You want, you want me to take, take them one by one? Or you want no. Because I, th- I feel like we'll, we'll miss some of them if you keep listening. <laughs> There's just been a lot of uh, stories from, and, and w- at least one of the people I have heard the stories from, I love like a family member. So that's why I take it seriously, and I really wanted to ask you, yeah, why so why you t- why you do this and 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 then I wanted to I have a follow up question on it but go ahead. Right, well, one of them is do I do that right because I think that's important. It's kind of like again even even in your summary, Rolo, like respectfully you want you once again said we talked about Rob at working with Dan Gross in the Brady campaign and yet once again <laughs> zero contact between me and the Brady campaign. Dan Gross is not the Brady campaign. Wasn't with the Brady campaign even for about a year, maybe more than a year, until I met him. So that keeps getting repeated. And the problem is somebody in the comments or somebody who's hearing this is like, oh, so Rob is working with the Brady campaign. And I think that's the problem. So when you hear Rob snatched a gun out of a student's hand and threw it against the berm, that keeps getting repeated. I mean, I saw, like, let's face it, Devin has a big chip on his shoulder. Trenchwork Chronicles, as you know, he has a big chip on his shoulder against me for a whole bunch of reasons. But go listen to the interview that I, yeah, I did when, when I was supporting him and helping him grow his show, and you'll hear how he thought about me and, you know, all the information, all the positives, but he now has a chip on his shoulder because one of his friends is mad at me. So he jumps into your comments today, or maybe it was Tony Simon's comments promoting this show, and tells this apocryphal story that there was a... It's like it's so childish, which fits for him. It's like, I heard, well, what you guys don't know is that Rob snatched a student from... Uh, snatched a gun from one of his students who wouldn't back down from him, and he threw it against the burn. And it's like, I don't know what he's picturing, right? Like, obviously, he wasn't there. Uh, this story has been told and retold in 29 different ways, and it's been addressed almost every podcast that we get talking about me and this personality concern. Like, this comes up over and over again, this this crazy exaggeration of a story where I threw a student's gun against the berm. And one of the versions is, like, somehow I, like, wrestled a loaded gun from a student or something, right? And that story was, I want to say now, probably 2000 five, six-ish is probably where that comes from. And I was teaching a class, um, mixed police and law enforcement, mixed police and open enrollment class in Chicago, just outside of Chicago. And it was at a police range and it was an L-shaped berm. And we were standing against one side, shooting really far against a steel gong, like 7,500 yards pistol class. And the student continually was doing something against like the technique. He was just, he kept putting away an unloaded gun. Like he wasn't responding to slide lock. And at one point after like, and this was an advanced class also, which is also really important. Like, I think you're going to have a hard time finding a student who's taken multiple classes with me who would say anything except, oh yeah, Rob's like super funny. And I get why some people don't like his humor or don't like the way he is so emphatic about getting it right on the range, but they don't come back and take two and three and four and five courses if they're like afraid of it or they think it's some, somehow unprofessional or unethical. So here's a guy who's come back to an advanced class. He's taken at least three days of training, if not four days of training with me prior, and he shows up again. And I took his, his locked open empty gun with a magazine still in it out of his holster and tossed it to the berm to my left behind the line of students, right? Just kind of just tossed it down in the dirt. We get back to reload. He, he's like, where's my gun? 
he didn't even know his gun had been taken. And it wasn't until like two or three years later, because this was back before Facebook and all this, right? So two or three years later, some guy in a chat room forum somewhere said, well, I was at a class once when he threw a student's gun up against the berm and da da da. He was really unprofessional. Well, he was an observer at that class working for a competing company or would be competing company who started that story. And it's just created this life of its own. So that's one that, you know, again, just as recently as today, I saw someone who I think knows better tell the story wrong in a way to make it seem like this extreme egregious thing. Now, is there a lot of, um, like, like I don't, I don't do that. There's a way, not the way thing, because if people are paying me money for life and death skills, I'm not going to tell them you can decide. I'm not, I'm not really an expert. I don't really have an opinion here. I can't really figure out what's best for you. Only you can do that, you special flower. So you decide what's going to work. And I'll just stand over here and give you three or four options and not take my job seriously, even though some other people in the class might want real life and death information. It's fine, right? I mean, I don't, you don't get repeating contracts with, with high-end military groups and law enforcement groups that, that have this as a job by telling them, you guys decide. You're the experts, right? So whether, whether I'm right or wrong, I have to be emphatic. I have to believe that I'm right. And as I've always said, like the best, like some of these books over here on the shelf, right? Like there's a book from 2010. That was the best 2010 book I could write. But it replaced the book I wrote in 2006, which had other things in it. And then the book under it, The Defensive Shooting Fundamentals, that was um, published by USCCA because I wrote the live fire curriculum for them, that book is an evolution of the 2010 book. So I know that if I teach a two-day class, I'm probably going to say things that five years from now I'm not going to agree with. And I also know that if I have two people on the line, I may give person A one set of advice and technique and recommendations for gear, and person B, you know, a separate thing. Of one, you know, one person's going to get one set of information, the other person's going to know that because their hands are different size, because one's a cop and one's in the military, or one's a civilian, one's a new shooter, one's got a lot of experience, one has habits that are need to be broken that I think are getting in their way. Another one has habits that aren't what I teach, but they aren't that big a deal. So I'm going to let them keep doing it, but I would never teach a new shooter to do that. So I am really passionate about this. I'm really emphatic about this as an educator and not everybody is my student, right? Like not the person that wants to come to the class to show off what they know or get into an argument with me about what their mom told them or what they saw in a movie once. Like maybe you're not my student, man, because I thought the person who took off work and left their family to come pay me to spend time on the range actually wanted me to teach them something, not me to entertain their whims, you know? So, so I think that's where some of the conflict comes from. But again, 99% of those people either, you know, quit the class or we agree that maybe day two is not for them or they just go away. Like they just don't come back for advanced training. Uh, and where that shows up the most outside of the military contract stuff, where that, that, emphasis and passion shows up the most is instructor development. And, and when someone comes to instructor development and they want to purport that they're going to stand in front of a room, especially in any way attached to me with a certification, and they're going to try to give other people life and death skills, they better be at least as passionate as I am and be ready to prove it. And if they're not, they're going to have a miserable time. And they have to understand that not everybody can be an instructor, certainly not certified by me. So that's hard for a lot of people. And, and, and I think in many cases, that's where it really like, I, I'm like, oh, you crushing people's dreams. Well, you know, I, I if I want to be, you know, a, a guitar player, I mean, I bought a couple of guitars along my 50 or 49 year journey and thought I'm going to learn how to play the guitar. Guess what? I'm not really good at it. And I don't have the discipline. I don't have the focus and I don't have the finger dexterity or something because I suck at guitar playing. And if I'm talking to like 
I don't know, Metallica, they better not tell me, well, yeah, you could be a great guitar player probably maybe someday. They just need to tell me I suck. Okay, so there, I have to address something in the chat. Someone said they are not into the drama. I'm not bringing this up because of drama. I'm bringing this up because it relates back to advocacy. Um, you know, I'm not into the he said, she said stuff because I wasn't there, you know. Um, the story that I did here was not about the 2005 thing, and there were other things that I've heard from other people, multiple people, and honestly, I'll be honest with you, the class I had with you was absolutely fantastic. I learned so much. Um, I learned something about my hand that I had no idea. And my best friend is tiny pygmy, just like me. And she was having the same exact problem. And I figured it out this weekend. And I probably would never would have figured it out had you not told me that about my hands. And I'm like, oh my God, That's it's awesome. the same thing. So I appreciate um, what I learned that day very much so. Um, to, but for Smeggy, this isn't about drama because what was heavy on my mind was imagining people in class excited to take a class or excited to become an instructor and getting that level of passion you call it some other people might feel like it's not civil not respectful hurtful and actually becoming completely dissuaded turned off from being a gun owner so I asked how do you reconcile that attitude is as a trainer with your other half of your life which is an advocate and encouraging people to move forward with being a gun owner yeah especially a responsible well-trained gun owner and that's a huge huge chasm right is there's a there's i've had this guy i appreciate you asking the question because it's important to again for me to distinguish between the person who wants me to potentially certify them as an instructor to teach others Right, who's going to be out there trying to control people that may never have touched a gun before, especially somebody who wants to work with beginners, right? Like if somebody's already got 16 instructor certifications and they're they're an active duty Navy SEAL and they're just going to go back and they're going to continue to be part of Phase Three or they're going to continue to teach at SQT, you know, they're already teaching, they're already working with a controlled group that's already you know going to be squared away to some level or you know and potentially way even more than than my average student would be. I I'm not as worried about it. Somebody comes to me thinking like unicorns and stars and fairy dust that they're going to be this person that helps other people become responsible gun owners. That that to me becomes like, wow, this is serious. And if you're not willing to take this seriously, if you're like, you know, on your phone during the class, if you're showing up late, if you will, I can't do the study session with the other students because my family members having a hard time. I got to give them a call tonight. I'm not going to make it. Okay. Maybe you should just come back to another class because you're not going to be able to be successful here, right? And then when you're demo teaching, you're getting it all wrong. You say, well, I'm nervous because you're here. Okay, you're nervous because I'm here, but what's going to happen when you have four people that have never shot a gun before and you're responsible for their lives, right? And the information you're giving them is responsible for the lives of their family members. Like, that's kind of important. So, yeah, if, if I'm crushing your dreams of becoming an instructor, I feel like I'm making Earth better right now. That's completely different from like a fun with guns corporate outing to the range where people have never shot a gun before and they just want to like try it out and maybe they'll become a gun owner. Like I owe them no extra holes and a smile and I want them to have a good time and we're going to joke and we're going to have a good time and it's way more casual and there isn't this life and death kind of feel to what happens next. It's just, hey, shoot this. It's fun. And, and I've done a lot of that, right? Like, I mean, historically back at the 
place we were doing the highest level of reality-based training for the military guys, we were also running these these experiences for fun for tourists in the, in the Telluride, uh, Colorado area at, at this resort that was attached to the training facility. They would come over on the weekends and just have fun. And, and hundreds of people, thousands of people, smiles and a picture and what, what gun did I use? Oh, that's awesome. And selfies and all this stuff, right? Like before selfies were even a thing, I've done that for years, right? The gun makers match, fun. Uh, historically, a lot of other shooting competitions back in the 90s I used to run. And it's a different Rob. Like you get the Rob hat for constructor development. You get the Rob hat for close quarters counter ambush. You get Rob's hat for fun with guns. But a lot of people don't really get the difference because the last time they went to a class, what they were getting was fun with guns, but they got a certificate for it. But what that instructor really did was run them through some drills, read off a clipboard, run a timer, tell them they did great, maybe give them a couple pointers and tips and here you could do better. But I don't believe that as many educators as I would like to see in the community really go that extra level out of what they feel as an obligation to that student. You know, you talked about, like, what if somebody gets dissuaded from gun ownership? Well, again, I don't really get very many people in true classes who are new gun owners or potential gun owners, right? I don't teach, like, CCW or entry-level permit stuff generally, right? So if I'm running a family firearm safety seminar because I enjoy teaching those classes with the parents and they come in with the kids, that's a fun with guns kind of class, you know? And I'm trying to give them safety information and storage information and staging information let the kids see their parents shoot, let the parents see their kids shoot with a professional instructor from my team, not just being guided by the dad or the mom. So we do those things differently. When I'm running a real class, that's the life and death stuff. And, and, it, and it is a different hat. So I think what happened at Train and Learn, for example, where you were, I knew everybody there was serious. They're a serious like student of the, the art, right? Everybody there is interested in personal defense and as well as just the advocacy and the fun with guns. So I have to teach a real class. And there were times during that class where people who had had a lot of other experiences were, and I don't know if it happened in your session, but where they'd say, hey, but I was taught this. I'm like, okay. And, and even what Dustin Pluth was teaching, you know, 100 yards away was that's in a, in a marksmanship context or in a competition context, great. But I think for defensive training, it should be done differently, and here's why. And not everybody wants to hear that. A lot of people just want the fun with guns. And, and again, I'm not, not their instructor. So the advocacy piece, to me, is that same passion. I don't worry about um, if, if, you know, you, you said you would, you, you've given up on Shannon Watts. And I say that a lot. Like, we're not trying to change Pelosi's mind. You're not trying to change Schumer's mind. But if Shannon Watts wanted to come out to the range, and, and I really believe, for whatever reason, she was genuinely open to an evolution, I wouldn't say, oh, no, you shouldn't have guns. Like, okay, you're an American citizen. You want to come out and have an experience? Cool. But I also wouldn't berate her about some of the ridiculous things she said about gun ownership in the middle of that introduction to shooting session that I was running. Those, those to me are, are separate but overlapping areas, right? So I'm not really doing, again, advocacy happens outside of the group of people who are already gun owners. If somebody's a gun owner, I need them to be acting responsibly today as a gun owner. And I will say, I'm very, I say a couple times a year, I'll take people's guns apart and I'll hand them back to them and I'll say, look, your gun, I, in front of everybody here, I'm giving you your gun back in pieces because I don't think you're ready to have a loaded gun, out, especially out in the public space where my kids are at the Target and out at the mall and out at the park. So if, if you get killed by ISIS tomorrow because you're not carrying your gun, have your family sue me. Right now, I think Earth is better with you not carrying a loaded gun around in a public space. And I get it. That's not, I'm not supposed to say that. But there's responsibility and then there's rights. Everybody should have the right, but not everybody is up for the responsibility. 
I'm going to close this, um, this question with um, a little story about myself. I don't really talk about what I do for a living because it's my personal life, but I've been in, in an educator in medicine um, for the past 15 years, and I moved on to a different role recently, but I'm still an educator. Actually, still in medicine, but it's just a different role. Um, some of the education that I do is life and death, literally. Type 1 diabetics life and death, insulin, you can kill someone very easily. Um, someone can kill themselves very easily. And so I understand teaching when it comes to something of incredible importance and just seriousness and responsibility. The only thing I'm going to say on the ending of this is, you know, you don't need, in my opinion, because I'm not a gun instructor, I have had more success with people, and I've even taught small children. My, my, I've, you know, had kids as small as two years old. Obviously, they're not <laughs> learning anything, but uh, two, two through 18, um, working, working with them. You, you do better with life and death situations when you, I don't want to say the word nice, but when you're just a warm and civil person, um, I'm not saying you're not, but I have heard stuff. So you might want to try that on your next time or maybe just well, give it a okay. chance because, but you know, I, you bring you bring more people in with honey or whatever the expression is versus vinegar. Maybe. So, but, but I mean, maybe give it a years. chance because, like I said, I've heard some stuff, um, not just from one person. And I just, I want to make sure that you know that um, there are other ways to do it. And I'm not knocking what you do. You've, you've done this for probably, well, not, not longer than I've been alive, because I am a lot older than people think, but, um, you know, um, it, it has, you know, it is something that has concerned me greatly, and I, I have a hard time reconciling those stories that I've heard from people that I respect so much, especially someone that I love so much, um, and that person knows who she is, um, and, you know, with the person that I've met, so, I would like at least you to know that was something that's on my mind and something I, that... I do appreciate you shared it. You know, sometimes it's that, that love that we have for somebody can blind, you know, a little bit, right? And I just, that's why I fear here is that I, I think I know who you're talking about too. And, and it was, you know, I feel like that person was probably put into a position by a third party to try that that attempt without ever having met me or experienced our program before. Nope. She had a miserable time. No, probably not who you're thinking about. Um, okay. So, but let's just uh, leave it got, alone. Now I'm curious. Now we got to talk about it. But yeah. but I do think that it's important um, to kind of go. You've had it. You've had a bunch of experiences with me, right? Over and over and over again. So that's what I'm saying. You know, it, somewhere it's, there's a di somewhere there's a balance of what the truth is. But I will also say that I don't. I'm not trying to sidestep the fact that I absolutely know that people leave the range and I'll never train with that guy again. He's an asshole, and I don't like the way he treated me. And I'm okay with that. And again, it kind of goes back to your original question is the fact that I'm okay with that or that I will give people like, hey, if I'm not your guy, like I'll give you the money back and you can go somewhere else. That's okay too. Again, I think that bothers people. Now, I will tell you that you personally telling me that you care about this issue impacts me way more than the person standing on the range saying they don't like the way I teach. So, so take it under consideration and appreciate it for sure. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's, that's fair. So uh, I think uh, Rob, if 
if you don't have any more time, I know we kept you over the hour. If, if you need to. I'm super long winded though. So uh, if you got one more question, we, we, I, I don't know. Is there another, is there another one? I, I think that if you want to talk briefly, uh, just cause I know we were going to bring up the gun makers match and JST supply was in here and he said it was a cool experience. We didn't get to go because it was on Juneteenth Yes. and we, we were doing we a local had, event. Like, three things yeah. We got invited to a lot of events terrible. and then we finally realized that the first one we got invited to, we forgot about and we're like, Oh yeah, we can't go to these <laughs> other ones cause we forgot these guys. So. Yeah, it was. Of course, I knew it was Juneteenth. Didn't know that how much overlap that would have in the gun community. But what I didn't remember was also National Range. Yeah, Day National Range Day. So there were a yeah. lot of National Range Day events going on, and it was actually. I remember the conversation. Like, oh, great, National Range Day. But I didn't think about it also being uh, competitive. So I appreciate you guys having wanted to be there and give me a chance to talk about it because it was amazing. Um, Gunmakersmatch.com. This is another one of those things that a lot of people said couldn't happen or shouldn't happen. And, you know, you'll know you won't be able to pull it off. There aren't enough people who make guns who want to come out in public and talk about it or whatever. Uh, industry support, you know, there, you won't get industry support for private gun making. And, and again, like the 2A rally, it was something we pulled off. We had a great team of people working on the event from Guns for Everyone National. Of course, uh, you guys had Edgar on recently. Um, they were incredibly instrumental in agreeing to sanction the event and put the event under their umbrella as a national series now that we're starting. And then the Aussie group, um, Are We Cool Yet, um, AWCY, question mark, got their flag back here. Um, the, the Aussie group coming in as a 3D printing support community for the as a technical advisor on the gun making. Because, you know, while I've done kit guns and, of course, designed the, the PD-10 and PD-11 for a bit of the arms, the whole 3D printing thing, I'm still only about eight months in, um, printed a gun last night uh, that I had to start over two hours in. It went crazy. Spaghettified. This morning, uh, it woke up, and or this this afternoon, it finished up, and it was great. Um, it looked good when I woke up this morning, so I was happy. But the you know I'm still hit or miss. So so the Aussie group coming in, um, JSD Supply, Brownells, Firearms Policy Coalition, Gun Owners of America, uh, just on and on and on. Defcad, um, Cody Wilson was here. You know, sort of the 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 father of the 3D gun printing movement. He came up for the event, came over for the event from Texas, and uh, he spoke also. Um, we had a lot of, you know, Stephen Katowski was down here, Michael Bain, right? Michael Bain was was doing, you know, media stuff when I was first getting started, right? And, and he and I have collaborated and worked together a lot. He showed up from Colorado to support the event because he thinks it's an important evolution in the gun community that we start openly celebrating private gun making. So Gun Makers Match was incredibly successful, had a great time. We've set up the second one, uh, March 19th this time. Uh, March 19th, we're going to have the second national one but we're going to be running some regional events between now and then as well again all of this happening under guns for everyone national i'm celebrating both 3d printed guns and kit built guns polymer 80 was one of our first big sponsors they came in again as a platinum sponsor for 2022 and uh i just i just can't say enough about the gun making community and how excited i am to be working with some real leaders there to give people a way to share an experience in real time in real space not just on the internet their their gun making whether it's kits or or uh the, the 3d printing again you know you think about gun making there's a lot of there's a lot of like hashtag built not bought meaning somebody you know bought a lower receiver and then picked all the parts and put it together that kind of stuff um it's a little bit different when you're actually making and designing guns that you want to put out into the world and, and i know what that's all about through avidity arms but some of these guys are doing this just because they're passionate about it with the 3d printing community and it's it's pretty amazing awesome yeah, definitely an event to check out. Did anybody film anything, or do, is there any a place that people can watch some yeah, content so for it if, to see what people, it's all about? 
if people go to gunmakersmatch.com, there's a little uh, media section with a, like blog links. So gunmakersmatch.com, you can see some of the uh, reporting that's been done. Michael Bain put together a great hour-long episode of Triggered, which had interviews with uh, Alex from Polymer 80. I think uh, Jordan from JSD was in there. Cody Wilson was in there. Uh, I, I spoke a little bit in there. A lot of the competitors spoke and, and a lot of insight. You know, Michael Bain's been watching this community for for 30 years very, very closely and sharing media and thoughts with it, um, you know, with the world. And and his perspective on why the gun makers match and private gun making is important, I thought were, were really worth watching that, that hour-long episode. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, like Vice News was out. Uh, we had them come out and do a little mini doc. Um, one of their journalists actually participated, actually built his own gun and participated in the event. And uh, a lot of people I know are nervous about that. Like, why would you let uh, somebody from a left-leaning media source or pro-gun control, whatever you want to say about them? I've had very positive experiences being fairly represented with Vice. When that piece comes out, I'm expecting that there will be some of the, a lot of people are worried about ghost guns and the police report 400% increase in ghost gun collection and all, I get, all that's going to be there. But what also is going to be there is I believe they're going to give a fair shake to the gun makers match and to the gun makers that they met and to private gun making. And that's why we have to have, again, advocacy happens outside of our safe space. We must go out and talk to the media that's influencing people who aren't already on our side and hope that they give us a fair shake. And, and I've had a lot of good experience in a lot of different left-leaning media and what I would consider even pro-gun control media fairly representing my thoughts, my endeavors, my businesses, and my events. So, so uh, again, the, everybody involved in it knew that Vice was there, and uh, we're excited to see what they come up with. I think it's always okay to give everybody a fair shake at least once. If Vice comes out with a hit piece, then you just say, screw you, we're never going to have you back again. Well, and, and, and particularly that yeah. crew, because obviously Vice is a huge news organization, and the, the people that I've worked with that, that vouched for these guys, I'll probably give them a couple text messages and want to have a phone call. But uh, again, I'm not expecting a hit piece. We'll see. Mm -hmm. So I have a uh, one last question. One of the hard hitting questions. This one's from Mr. Oh. Greg T and he, uh, I'll just read it straight from the chat. Can Rob just answer a question so I can hear him say the words is Rob Pincus anti-gun anti-second amendment. He said, no, no, I'm reading it. It says anti-gun. Maybe I, there was another one. Yeah. Anti it's anti-second anti amendment. <laughs> Great. Uh, no, no, Rob Pincus is not anti-Second Amendment. Rob Pincus is not an undercover ATF agent. Rob Pincus is not working with the Brady campaign. And Rob Pincus, I'm not even single anymore. I mean, I have a girlfriend now. I'm totally domesticated. Oh, God. Oh, well, don't, don't, don't go down that path and ask questions. Joe asks everybody relationship questions, and she gets I, way I, too I, nosy. Waiting, right? Yeah, like, she I, gets I'm way too nosy. I got to hold her back. It is no longer single, on, locked, and loaded Latinos, because you guys are such a cute couple. You've inspired me to once again have faith in a relationship. Well, I mean, the wishes I can give you is that hopefully you don't add any more tattoos. And if nobody knows what I'm talking about, that's fine. So everybody that needs to know will know. Yeah. So hopefully that won't happen. And hopefully she's okay with that one. God. So. Good luck. God bless you guys. Yeah. All right. Hey, I appreciate it. You guys, thank you for everything you do. And again, thanks for, for having me on to talk about this. I think the diversity of thought and strategy and tactics even in the Second Amendment, um, uh, the advocacy community is really important. You guys celebrate it, um, and you guys are part of it. So thank you. Hey, thank you so much for coming on, Rob. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, we're going to continue the show, everybody. So just because Rob is going off doesn't mean that the show is ended. We're going to carry on until our usual time. Let us know how the audio is going. On our end, everything sounds good. So what we hear is going to be on the audio podcast. But we don't necessarily hear everything perfectly until as it's coming out of YouTube. Time. 
So I can monitor it now, Joe, if you want to say a few things here and kind of... I can hear the show. Yeah, I know. I'm playing it on purpose. Why? To hear how we sound. So I want to know how you sound on your audio. Okay, I'm pulling this out because that's driving me nuts. So you can hear me? Okay, okay, good. Get rid of that. Sorry, I know everybody could hear that as well, but I just wanted to make sure that we were good to go. So I hope, you know, for better or for worse, everyone enjoyed that. I know that... Look, you're never going to be satisfied with anything that you guys see. Let's let's be adults here and, and be honest about it. We can ask any questions that we want, and Rob is going to give the answers that he wants, and whether you have to accept it at face value, whether you want to believe it or not, and that goes with anybody. So, you know, take the interview for, for what it was. Uh, I think Joe was pretty honest about how she feels about things emotionally. I don't think any of that changed. Uh, but I think that you can have mature conversations without it devolving into some sort of disastrous he said, uh, he said she said. And ultimately, that w- that's what it comes down to. And we're not here for drama. Rob asked to come to the show to talk about advocacy, things like that. He's always been respectful with us. Obviously, we have a certain way that we feel about things uh, from what we heard when we don't agree with the strategies involved all the time with advocacy. But it, we're also cognizant of the fact of where we've come from, how our opinions have changed, and how we feel. So we're going to continue to advocate the way that we do. We have our show. We have our platform. And we'll bring people on, like like Joe said, mentioned, mentioned earlier. If Shannon Watts wanted to come onto this platform, we would allow her to come on, and we wouldn't allow her to you know, get away with out asking how she feels about certain things. I know you don't like that, but I think it's important <laughs> to – be able to have those conversations because we don't want to be stuck in an echo chamber. And we also want to start setting an example on platforms that we can control and we can dictate what's said and what's there. So obviously none of this is going to be censored. Rob said what he said. We asked the questions that he asked. If you don't like it, that's fine. If you don't like his answers, that's fine, but we're not going to hide anything that was there. And that's how it would be with anyone that we have on. And I think it's important to have those people on so that you can at least either Uh, expose them, allow them to explain themselves or, you know, just come up with, you know, a different opinion or at least be aware of what's going out there. Um, It doesn't really matter what we believe is the right approach for advocacy necessarily. People are always going to do it. Uh, They're going to advocate the way that they want to. Uh, I need to address something. G-Webs, you wrote in the chat, in my opinion, trainers don't need to be polite or courteous necessarily. It's like a musician. You are... You and like the music and knowing how it made without agreeing with everything about the musician. No, I I agree with what you're saying. Um, however, you don't know the severity of the stories I've heard, um, which were very disturbing. And in my mind, it if they are true, which like I said, one of the people who account like told me the account of what happened um, in a particular class is someone that is very well respected in the community and who I love uh, and respect like a sister. Um, so I just wanted to address it. Um, it. Ever since hearing that, it kind of influenced how I felt about Rob and I wanted to address it with him because I felt I could, if I didn't clear the air with him um, and talk about it and let him know how I felt about it, uh, I didn't think I was going to ever be able to be like... I don't, I don't think it would always be there and it may still always be there. Uh, but I wanted him to know how I felt about it. And I hope that I made an influence on him um, because I think he can do great things. Um, there is many Rob Pincuses in my mind. 
Um, like you said, he wears different hats. I feel like he is different people sometimes because I've seen um, him being a really nice person. Um, he has been very great to Tony, um, as he'll tell you. So I would hate for that side of him, you know, to lose its greatness when there's negativity involved too. So I just want to make sure that's addressed, that he knows, and that, you know, he moves on to be a better person, uh, hopefully, in my, you know. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, yeah if, if my if my uh, violin instructor is a little bit mean to me, um, the consequences, you know, maybe, you know, I, I have a bad time, but a little bit of a bad time that afternoon. Um, but I was worried as as an advocate as well, um, that that might turn people completely off. And that is not what we're trying to do as advocates. So mm-hmm. I was having a hard time reconciling, you know, uh, do you want to be a good trainer? Um, or do you want to also make sure that you're being a good advocate? So I think there is a... There's a bit of an overlap there. Yeah, you, you can do both. Mm-hmm. So that's why I addressed it. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Now we've got about half an hour. We're, we're kind of going to go for a free-for-all. We're used to having guests on for more than two and a half hours. So it's a little bit different here. Hopefully you guys like this new format that we've got going on here with the side-by-side. We'll really only have this when we have guests on the show. Uh, we'll still go back to our regular uh, setup before. Uh, but you mean I'm not going to be sitting next to you next time? I mean, if you want to do it this way every time, we can do it this way every time. Do you like it? I don't know. Maybe we'll make a poll. <laughs> so, yeah, let us know if you do like the new side-by-side approach. Not that we weren't ever next to each other. We're in the same room. But uh, but we can always uh, flip it over and be next to each other or be far apart. Uh, G-Webs doesn't seem to like it for some reason. So, But, yeah, uh, again, take uh, take tonight's show as it was. Uh, I'm sure... I mean, I know I know what some people would have liked, and I know what other people would have liked. That's never been our show. You know, we're not adversarial. Uh, we're not any way like that. And honestly, you it's difficult to to reciprocate terrible thoughts or ideas towards somebody who hasn't wronged you yourself, even when you've heard things like that. At least that's the way that I've you know kind of been raised. So, and you also need to look at. Uh, you know, different work. So it's always difficult. There's always a nuance. There's always difficult things that you're going to hear. And there's multifaceted approaches uh, to everything. It may not change your opinion. And that's not what we're here to do. We, we're here to present things and, and you guys take it however it will. It doesn't, it's not an endorsement. It's not uh, uh, or, or anything like that. It just is what it is. So. And we didn't really need to bring up the, well, we did talk a little bit about the Brady thing, but I feel like Maj's interview did such a good job addressing yeah. the, those issues. Um, I thought it was silly to bring it up again because yeah. I, I really, what I was wanted to say was when he was talking about the article, well, Rob, when I read it, I just wanted to tell you that the, it, I can't read your mind. Um, so I know what you, you know, afterwards, what you meant when you were talking about improving, you know, yeah. background checks, but you didn't actually explicitly say it. So I think that's why the article sucked in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think Maj was pretty honest about that. With It was kind of written very politically and things like that, and he thought that that was a little bit uh, doublespeak. But you also, he was honest too, and uh, who is advocacy for? Uh, and we you never know, had, we were going to say, well, exactly, go ahead. Let's, we were going to have this conversation, but we didn't have time. Who yeah. is advocacy for? Yeah, and, and it really is. I think it's, uh, I think it's multi-tiered. You guys have heard us that I think 
part of it is we need to start recruiting or hiring from within to use a more commercial or, or, or corporate term that we have almost what 40 to almost 50% of the country is gun owners, but only a very small portion are actually advocates for their rights. So they might tacitly be okay for gun ownership. Obviously they are, but, uh, but, but you know, that's really the way that we, uh, we need to be cognizant of that, you know, that most, most people on our side uh, still don't know what they're talking about. They don't try hard enough. They take things for granted. I can speak that from personal experience, and we need to work on that because if we can at least get the majority of gun owners to, to, uh, to jump on our side, that's already a huge growth. And let's be honest, there are a lot of other issues. You know, we only had an hour with Rob tonight. I would have gone more in-depth. I think that our little tangent on social media was pretty uh, insightful. And I think you can see some of the differences uh, that some some people have with what's going on with social media and the power that they have. And I know that um, that uh, Rob doesn't like to go into the politics of it. We are a little bit more anti-authoritarian. Well, I don't know if it's fair to say that. But uh, we obviously come off more anti-leftist, and we've always explained why that is the case. It's that we have an aversion for leftism, just being Hispanics and Latinos in South Florida. Like you, there's no, there's really no redeeming thing that the left can tell me that I haven't heard before that they've done in other countries that they've destroyed the entire society. Um, so I'm not really open to progressive left-wing thoughts. And there's a difference between progressivism and authoritarianism and liberalism because liberalism really is about freedom uh, in a lot of cases. And those terms have been misconstrued. And I think that you are seeing more and more people wake up uh, when they see the reality. But I think people just need to be cognizant. If you watched a few days ago, Tucker Carlson had a fantastic monologue that I think summed up how... Uh, he used it to say Trump supporters, but I think it's how a lot of people on the right feel of a certain way about the election. And it's that I'm going to sum it up very simply. And it's, and this is why I brought up with Rob that there's a trust issue and why so many people on the pro gun side that have been doing it for a while or that have gone guns for their entire lives are very skeptical about people that are coming across the aisle to go in because we have a trust deficit in over how we perceive reality, especially over how the last four years played out. One side, there, one group of people believes that essentially the presidency was stolen and other people believe that that's not the case. Some people believe that there was Rus Russian collusion that was proven to be wrong. Um, the media was proven to be lying for years. We've seen over the past year how the media manipulated things. We saw how election laws were changed over the last year. Um, not all of it was illegal. Some of it was with the intention knowing that court cases would not be seen until after the election. YouTube can do whatever they want and, and, and ban me for mentioning these things, but it's, it's the reality. Oh, hello. It's my channel too. I know, but they're not going to, they're not going to say anything because I'm not saying anything that's not true right now, uh, or misconstruing anything. So we see how those things are. And that's a perception of reality difference now that we have, because many of us believe that those things are true and, it's unfortunately becoming a basis for everything because if you don't fundamentally believe that the country is really being run correctly or justly or, or anything like that, you now have more things to jump over because anybody that, um, and, uh, you know, anybody right now, that's the first thing that I'm going to come on. If you voted for Joe Biden, I'm going to be perfectly honest. 
I'm going to be skeptical of your motives because either you weren't paying attention to a lot of different things because I've had, I've had some people say this to me. Actually, one of Joe's friends said this uh, before. One of my communist friends? Yeah, oh, no. They're, they're not a communist. <laughs> they're just naive. Where they basically were like, well, we know that the Republicans are never going to allow certain things to happen. So I'm okay with voting for the Democrats because the other side's not going to do it. I was like, so if you don't believe in the other side enough that you would vote for them, how the hell do you think that they're actually going to protect your rights? And why would you take such a risk? Um. And, and that's kind of, you know, the conundrum that I, I think that's cognitive dissonance. Like if you have that little faith in who you're voting for, then why are you voting for them? And that goes for both, both sides. If you think that the other side is going to protect you or that the checks and balances are going to work, then that already means that you, you know, that you're, that you, you're not entirely on board with what's going on here. So I, I think that's the problem that I have. It's a cognitive dissonance. It's a lying. Uh, I don't lie to myself about the Republican Party. I know exactly what they are. I think that they're a morally bankrupt party that uh, at this point professes a lot of different ideologies that they don't actually stand for or fight for, but they say that they are, and it's in their party platform, but they don't actually believe in those things. Um, they believe in political expediency. The way that it works is that the Republican Party likes to uh, hold power, and I think the Democratic Party likes to wield power and actually use it. At least that's the modern uh, dynamic that we're seeing here. But it's not even about parties. Again, it's coming down to who's authoritarian and who isn't. What are their intentions? Are they trying to impose their will upon you or not? I can have somebody be anti-gun. As long as their anti-gun is, I would never want to own a gun, but I'm not going to restrict you from owning guns yourself, and that's totally fine. That's, that's a different anti-gun position. Because that ultimately falls on the freedom spectrum. It's, do you think that people should be allowed to live life the way that they want to if they're not infringing on other people's rights, um, their life and liberty and their property? And if they're not, then they can do whatever they want. You know, that's the way that I feel. As long as there isn't an imposition, as long as they're not trying to, you know, demonize other people, whether that's using schools, the media, or anything like that, that's when we start having a serious problem. And I think that's ultimately the difference between what we're dealing with um, uh, right now. It comes down to, do you think that you should be able to impose your will on somebody else if they don't believe the things that you do? And if you do, you're not on my side. And I think that that's a pretty clear delineation that a lot of people can agree on. And if they start thinking about things more that way, it would work. Um, I Maj had a great post today where he had a photo with uh, Caitlyn Jenner. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't really necessarily care about what the motivations are right here. It's really about freedom. And as long as nobody is imposing things upon me and my freedom, that's really what I care about. Um, you can identify how you want. You can dress however you want. You can believe what you want. Uh, as long as you're not imposing those beliefs on me, you can argue those beliefs and those opinions all day, and we can agree to disagree. But ultimately, I think two points that we made tonight that were very important Unity is overrated. I know, John, I'm sorry that I'm going on a rant here. It's okay. Um, I'm going to go back to say yeah. my piece afterwards. So. Of course. Um, uh, you know, unity is overrated because you're never going to get anything, and perfect is the enemy of the good a lot of times, and I think that we need to be realistic about that. Um, unity in the gun community and, and everything is going to be impossible because there are some people that believe you should be able to own nuclear weapons and and some people that think that you should only be able to own handguns, but they may still believe in gun ownership and there's going to be a spectrum with that. Um, and ultimately, 
we really just want to get it to the point where it's like you're just not infringing on my beliefs. And then you can disagree with opinions at that point, but it won't really matter. And, um, and yeah, and I think that with some of the Supreme Court cases that we're potentially going to be seeing, some of these arguments may or may not be moot anyway. Because I do think that if, let's say that if Becerra, the Becerra case comes out of California that goes to the Supreme Court and we have assault weapons bans completely you know, declared unconstitutional. If the New York case uh, goes through, that's going to eliminate a lot of the leverage that the other side has. And we won't necessarily have to even humor conversations about unity anymore uh, because it will essentially be, you live in a country where people are allowed to own the firearms that they want. So you need to get used to it and need to realize that that's the country that you live in. So at that point, it's almost like we're dictating the terms and it's not that we need to be smug and mean about it, but you need to let those people know at that point, it's like, I'm not going to cross over because we already want our rights. Uh, and, and, you know, we can be a little bit more hardcore about that, but yeah. So Joe, go for it. Uh, going all the way back to what you were talking about, the two political parties. Um, so yeah, we're, you know, we have negativity in both sides. Mm -hmm. um, and of course I say every time we talk about politics, it, it, there should be a little asterisk where, you know, it just always says, yes, I'm aware the Second Amendment should not be partisan. It has nothing to do with political parties. Um, but unfortunately, that's not the universe that we live in. Or sorry, the country that we live in. Um, the Republicans, like you said, they like to not do anything. Um, but the Democratic Party is now become an authoritarian party. And like we've said so much in, in the chat earlier today about being politically homeless. Well, part of the right has too, because a lot of Republicans in their rage for Trump jumped and joined the Democrat Party, the machine. Yeah. So well, I have been open about the fact that I am, you know, even though I'm politically homeless, I am now decided that I am willing to work with at least the Republican Party in Florida. Um, not that I'm going to become get into politics at all. Um, but I am going to start putting my toe in, in the pond and I'm going to go to my first meeting of the organization I reluctantly joined because I feel at least that with Republicans, as flawed as they are, um, I feel like we, we can influence them to do more for freedom. Um, and as someone who's their main purpose, I guess, politically and, and on this podcast and as an advocate is for freedom... Um, I'll do what I have to do to further that goal. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, <laughs> much as I not do not like the political parties, I feel like that's why I have such a hard time. We were talking about LGO earlier in the chat. Um, I don't know much about them besides the fact liberal that liberal gun owners. Yeah, for those I know, that but, sure. um, I just don't know how they can reconcile being like, cause I know liberal doesn't necessarily mean left or Democrat. Um, Tim Pool is technically a liberal, but he is not part of the Democratic Party. Um, I think most conservatives, when they know what liberal really means, would consider themselves liberals, at I least in the classical I did, sense. If I did a one of those spectrum things, I'd probably be somewhere closer to, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm all over the place. I really am all over the place. Like The fact that I'm super conservative with certain values and super liberal with others. I, w I don't know where the heck I would end up on the, on the spectrum, but I would probably end up moderate because of probably mid middle libertarian, which is yeah. where I, I ended up slightly right wing libertarian is where I ended up on the political spectrum test for people that don't know. But I mean, those things don't necessarily say anything. Yeah. But as much as I dislike the parties, it's uh, a necessary evil to try to at least work with what we have and try to make a positive influence on that. Um, 
So if anyone's out there who has the ability to do that, maybe you want to try doing that too. Mm -hmm. um, it definitely, you know, I always bring the same example back. You know, Florida's Bisque Republican, you know, supposedly we have Republicans in office and didn't our, you know, representatives vote for gun control. Um, so that's exactly the reason why I feel like it's a necessary evil to be like, I don't care what letter you put next to your name. This is what we're, we should be believing in. And that's as much freedom as possible. Mm -hmm. And then I think a uh, 42 chill brought that the, the bill of rights shouldn't be uh, political. I agree, but that's really why we use the, um, that's why we use the authoritarian and anti-authoritarian approach. And that's really what we're going to start saying now on because ultimately it shouldn't be political, but when people want power, they want to limit the power. Uh, when individuals want power, over a population, they will limit the power of that population. And the Second Amendment empowers the people, and the First Amendment empowers the people. And that's why they're the two amendments that are attacked more than any others, because they are the absolute most powerful ones that they are. They are the equalizers. They are the ones that, um, that you know, freedom of speech allows you to spread information, spread the truth. You can It can be abused with disinformation and things like that, but ultimately it allows ideas to flow and reach other people. The Second Amendment protects the First Amendment, and it's the safety valve of infringement ultimately. So anybody that wants uh, power or control is going to try to suppress those rights without issue. Again, uh, growing up in South Florida, seeing what happened, hearing the stories of what happened to Cuba, obviously we weren't alive back then, and seeing what happened to Venezuela, which we, we got to see over the decades that we've lived here, the deterioration, uh, the loss of rights, uh, hearing stories from uh, people in our community, uh, meaning the local South Florida community, <coughs> and um, Gabby Franco and people like that. So, kind of, I choked myself. Stop for talking while you're choking, uh, while you're recovering. Clover Tack in the chat says the. <coughs> Clover, <laughs> yeah, Clover Tack said in the chat the LGO is doing some good in that they know how to talk to some of the anti freedom politicians, so maybe we can actually learn a little from them. No? Um, I don't know too much about them, like I said, but mm -hmm. I don't know how much good talking. I mean, obviously, if we can influence them to be less anti-freedom, that's great. Um, but it depends on how far gone they yeah. are. Um, and, it's kind of like, are you ever going to convert Shannon Watts and, yeah. and David Hoffman? And, and again, I think that the, what happened in the last year has also, like I said, I'm going to emphasize this point again. It's polarized people to a certain point where the litmus test is, what do you think happened last year? And if people can't reconcile that, a lot of times it doesn't matter what the other issues are, they're not going to get over that issue. And I think that we have to realize that that's kind of an unprecedented wedge that we now have in our society. And I don't think that that's a wedge that's going to be healed very easily, if ever. I, I actually think it's a wedge that won't ever be healed because it's a problem it's now an irreconcilable difference of what you think happened last year. And if more things get uncovered, which I think we've been kind of seeing what happened in the last year, um, where essentially people like us believe certain things and we're told that we were crazy or conspiracy theorists, we've been proven very much right in many cases, or at least uh, we've been proven right to have suspicion and to ask questions. And I think that the reaction of the powers that be between the governments and social media and the media institutions has kind of proven that 
people are disingenuous. So if you accept almost what the media has said and you don't even allow people to have any other question, those people are not going to want to talk to you about gun rights because you've already basically said, well, I don't believe you on other issues. And I do think that we do need to be cognizant. I really do, because I've seen some of the discussions and the debates that people have had, and it starts devolving into that. Like, what's your position on this? And whether people want to believe it or not, that's going to have a major influence over politics over the next few years, and it's going to be an irreconcilable difference. Um, and that demonization on that level is really going to is going to cause some issues. And it's something that Joe and I have been much more cognizant of lately because uh, even at the event that we spoke with lately, it was funny how people at this event bought guns because of what happened on January 6th because they were afraid of white supremacists. And to hear that was very, very strange to me because I was like, wow, you came to the conclusion that you need guns but to defend yourself against people that aren't the government uh, but that were people that were kind of going against the government for the same reason. So they probably feel like they need to own guns for an opposite reason than you. And hearing that was kind of eye-opening and interesting. I didn't have a chance to address that issue. It's just something that I heard in passing. I was like, wow, that's actually kind of crazy. So I was like, how how far are you really from those from some of those other individuals that you may think are portrayed that way. Um, you may not actually be that far away from them. It may be that the media convinced you that they are, they're not, that they're a certain way and they're really not. When I've, because I heard the same person talking about freedom, they were extremely receptive to the lecture that we gave, which talked about the history of gun control, the racist history of gun control, similar to things that Katie and, um, and Maj have spoken about before. But then they had a totally opposite conclusion about that, and I found it very intriguing, and I wish it was something that I could have discussed more. Um, but that's something that we're dealing with now, and that's something that we need to see that a lot of things are painted from that lens now, and it's going to continue to be. Um, and it's just something that's going to be uh, something that we're going to have to address as the community because I think it's a bigger issue now, especially that we're seeing states behave a certain way where – it's not just Second Amendment sanctuary states, which, you know, Rob doesn't think is going to amount to anything, and it may or may not. But I also think it's pushback against critical race theory, um, different things like that, against the Equality Act, against um, the voting changes that the federal government is trying to make. So I think we're going to start seeing federalism at work, and people may or may not like to see that. Um, but I think it's kind of the only defense that we have left unless you want things to get worse. Um, so, yeah. I think the... Second Amendment sanctuary states is going to be our basically our final defense um, for our freedoms for for that. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't care what Rob says. I think that's super important. And um, Florida, get on it, please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we had who was it? It was uh, Tennessee and Iowa who just did constitutional carry past July first. Am I wrong about that? Something like that. Uh, I don't know. I didn't see that. Iowa and Ten no Tennessee. Yeah. Iowa and Tennessee constitutional carry laws effective July 1st. Mm. So congratulations to those two states. Cool. And those are, I know a lot of people will keep saying, well, we still have New York and New Jersey and all those states to go. It's like, yeah, well, we're chipping away slowly at it. And it's very important. And like I said, um, I think for the big wins, we're going to probably wait till the Supreme Court thing happens. Some states are, some New York is the Shannon Watts of states, okay? So unless... They have a Supreme Court mandate. They're not going to change, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Babyface P is not too confident about Florida because of uh, DeSantis's p potential presidential run. 
We also have another theory on Florida why it won't do anything with gun stuff. I think it's, it's the financial. amusement parks. Yeah, yeah, it's financial tourism. Um, honestly, not, nobody's going to touch that because, you know, this is an international hub of tourist hub. Um, and they're not going to risk that if we have a bunch of people walking around with guns on their hip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my personal opinion. I haven't heard too many people say that, but I'm actually almost surprised that they haven't said that because it seems yeah. so obvious to me that Disney uh, and the amusement parks and the I-4 corridor in Orlando are really the biggest obstacles for pro-gun movement uh, in Florida because it, it really does come down to that. I mean, when we went to St. Louis, Missouri, we went and open carried in a in a family restaurant. Nobody batted an eye to that. That would not fly in Orlando whatsoever. Nope. Um, and, uh, and it's pretty, and, and it's unique within Florida compared to other states, because I think a lot of other states that may have that kind of tourism influence, maybe California is really the only other one that has an equivalent like that. And there's obviously we know California's politics and how they lean. So I do think that that's the barrier for Florida. I think Florida Republicans take for granted again. Um, they have the supermajority here and conservatives are going to keep voting for them. Because um, they are, there's no other, there's no alternative. What else are we going to vote for? And other things are good in Florida. And I think that's where I I give DeSantis like a B uh, compared to a lot of other things. I think when it comes to B minus, yeah, B, yeah, (laughs) a B or B minus when it comes to non-gun issues, I think he's basically the best. I think that he would be personally a better candidate than Donald Trump ever was. And I'm not saying that just from an articulate perspective of how he portrays himself i think he agrees on the issues and he can also articulate those issues very well without getting emotional about it and he dominates with facts and maturity uh, and i think he's done a good job here but when it comes to guns i've heard absolutely nothing uh for or against guns from uh, ron DeSantis, and um i think it's kind of a shame on his part because i think he could get a full-on coup if he started pushing Florida to actually be the sunshine state and if, instead of being middle-of-the-road and mediocre because that's really what Florida is when it comes to gun rights. It's mediocre um, at best. Uh, it's, it's completely overrated as a state, and I'll always say that. Florida is very positive in almost everything except for gun rights, and it's uh, it's like a D-plus when it comes to gun rights, in my opinion. But we have palm trees. Yeah. So And no snow. So yeah. there's that. That's true. And we have a, do have a lot of cool gun manufacturers here. Yes. And a lot of importers. Uh, in other news, Babyface P seems to have invited us to shoot with him. Sure. Yeah, of course. Let's get into night vision. I don't own any uh, MVGs, but I'll definitely go up there and shoot some MVGs up there, uh, Babyface. And thanks for jumping on the chat tonight. We love Babyface. He's always on uh, Hank Strange's podcast, which is where we started cutting our teeth back in the day. So if you want to catch out Babyface, he also has... Such a soothing... Okay, I'm going to give a plug for you, Babyface, because uh, I love how relaxing his videos are. He has such a like calm and very nice voice, like a friendly voice. It's almost like watching Bob Ross with a painting. Uh, he's like the Bob Ross of guns. Like, let me show you guys how I'm going to uh, gonna break down this AK today. and we'll, we'll take it out on the range and we'll see what we think about it. <laughs> so, Babyface, I, I find you very soothing in your reviews in, in ways that other people uh, don't approach that, so... I'll give you your, your love there. Uh, I'm going to ignore the night vision part and just assume we're going to go shooting. Anyway. <laughs> yep. Um, so uh, we did promise that we would be doing something tonight, didn't we? God, I was hoping you'd forget. The paper's over there. So, so 
Something that we haven't done in a long time, much to the uh, the chagrin of Tony Simon and many others, and is to that the happiness of Joe. Yeah, is that we haven't done our Constitution segment uh, lately. So, uh, without further ado, we're going to do that today. <laughs> but we're not going to be doing the Constitution since we missed out on Independence Day and we didn't have a show that day and we didn't do it on our follow up show because uh, Tony was doing the Second Amendment is for everyone diversity shoot. Um, we saved this segment for today, so. We're going to go over just kind of the first paragraph of uh, the Declaration of Independence. Is and this the uh, first page? Yes, this is the first page. Yes. So I will start with, uh, I guess we'll start kind of with the first page here. And then uh, how far do you want to go? Just up to the first page? Not far. Okay. Because this one can be difficult. All right. So without further ado, here is our founding document segment. Uh, this is the Declaration of Independence. So I'm going to start in English and Joe will continue in Spanish. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station in which the laws of nature and of nature's gods entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which imp uh, impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it, organizing its powers in such form as to, as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experiences hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. So that's where I'll start, and Joe can kind of continue on. Mr. Greg T says, second career Rolo bedtime stories for adults. I've been trying to get him to get into radio, but this is as close as I'm, I'm getting. I, think. I, I guess the, uh, the new microphone makes a difference too because I'm a lot closer. London's a vampire. There's never any light in our house. So I'm like, I can, I'm blind. Okay. Cuando en el curso de los acontecimientos humanos se hace necesario para un pueblo disolver los lazos políticos que le han unido con otro y asumir entre los poderes de la tierra el rango separado y igual para el cual lo habilitan las leyes de la naturaleza de su autor. Un respeto decente. Por la opinión del género humano requiere que él, de, él declare las causas que le empleen a la separación. Can you stop doing whatever you're doing? It's really distracting. Nosotros creemos ser evidentes en sí mismo que todos los hombres nacen iguales y dot, dotados por su creador de ciertos derechos inagenables que entre, ed, que entre estos son los principales la seguridad de la libertad y la vida que construyen la humana felicidad, que para asegurar estos derechos se instituyen, instituyeron entre los hombres los gobiernos derivados sus justos poderes de consentimientos de los pueblos, que siempre que cualquiera forma de gobierno se haga destructiva de estos fines, 
toca el derecho imprescriptible de la sociedad altera, alterarla o obelar o obolirala y organizar organizando los poderes de su manera que juzga más conducente para el efecto de su seguridad y felicidad. Sorry, I lost it there. <laughs> You've powered through. Uh, la prudencia y la verdad dicta que los gobiernos estableciendo no se varíen por causas ligeras y transiguientes y, con, y consta que la experiencia del que el género humano está más dispuesto a sufrir mientras que los males son soportables que a hacer justicia aboleando las formas del gobierno a que hasta acostumbrado pero cuando una larga serie de abusos y urpasiciones continuando invariablemente al mismo fin hace patente ser el diseño de los gobernantes oprimir el pueblo con absoluto despotismo. Toca al derecho de este y a su deber el desechar un gobierno semejante y proveer, nuestro, proveer nuevas guardias para su seguridad futura. There you go. I think you're good. I think you went a little bit further than I did. The paragraphs are different. I know. All right. So that is the uh, the first, uh, I guess, the first uh, two paragraphs of the Declaration of Independence in English and Spanish. Uh, hopefully you all enjoyed that. Uh, as always, the Locked and Loaded Latinos podcast is part of the Self-Defense Radio Network, home of all your pro-freedom uh, podcasts, such as Gun Freedom Radio, Self-Defense Gun Stories, and Riding Shotgun with Charlie. So go ahead and check them all out at sdrn.us. Man, I'm never going to get over this. It, it just sounds so cool. It's like, hey, congratulations. <laughs> so hopefully you enjoyed the show there. So I restrained myself today because we have a guest. Plus, I want to program some things on here. I really want to get Kamala's cackle as one of the buttons for our our little sound effects. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kamala's laugh whenever yes. bad things happen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that would be pretty awesome. So next week on episode 53 of the Locked and Loaded Latinos podcast, we are going to have our friend, the Pew Pew Jew, Yehuda uh, Remer. Is it Remer or Remer? Uh, I'm sorry, Yehuda. <laughs> Let us know how to pronounce that correctly. But Yehuda is going to be on the show. We're going to talk a little bit about his amazing book, Bullet Points, <laughs> which is on Amazon. So it, it's great. We've uh, read it cover to cover already. Joe, Joe helped assist with the audiobook. <laughs> So much effort, that audiobook. Uh, so you guys should come check that out. Uh, I may do a Guns and Gaming during the week uh, and see what you guys want to do. I may do a poll and see what kind of game that you guys want me to play because everybody was kind of talking about that they were interested in, in more Guns and Gaming. Also, there is a animated movie called America, I believe. Somebody told me about it. It's supposed to be like a parody of the Founding Fathers. I saw the trailer. Um, so I'm going to look it up and watch it this week. We can talk about it as our pop culture uh, section next week. If mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if we'll do it in the middle of the week when you're doing whatever you're doing or at the end of Yehuda's um, thing. Or if I, if I don't want to interrupt Yehuda, then I will just wait till the week after. Yeah. 
and, and we can, uh, yeah, we can figure that out. So uh, if if we do a guns and gaming segment, I'll do kind of a poll to see what game you guys want. Like I said, just because it's guns and gaming, we can talk about different issues and it can be an open forum. It's really about kind of normalizing the 2A culture and showing a different side of, uh, of 2A uh, and, you know, really checking that out. So trying to show that, you know, Second Amendment advocates, we aren't all like crazy, bloodthirsty people. We have real hobbies and real lives and things like that. So uh, I know that you, some of you enjoyed the Star Wars discussion that we had last week. So Jedi Fallen Order is an excellent Star Wars game if you guys want to check that out. Uh, if not, we can do some other games like Battlefield 1 if you guys want to check out World War 1 or Battlefield 5 with World War 2. They have pretty awesome single-player campaigns um, and cool historical guns and weapons that you can see. And I think that uh, both of those games do a pretty good uh, job of portraying, uh, you know, I'm yeah, portraying uh, those two conflicts and kind of showing a grittier side. Uh, they're still video games, so obviously you don't see people die as easily uh, as real wars, but I think especially Battlefield 1 does a good job of portraying just how horrible of a conflict World War One was. Um, so, yeah, if you have any suggestions, uh, I'll, I'll make a poll of like five different games that I can go into, and then uh, we'll just have a live stream. People can drop in. You can ask questions, uh, have comments. We can talk about different stuff. Uh, and we've got some other events coming up too. If you like the show, uh, please uh, like and subscribe. It spread the word. Let people know. Share, share. Yes, uh, share and subscribe. If you like what we do even more, uh, you know, check out our subscribe star. We'll probably start a Patreon at the same time, just because it seems like uh, that's more universally accepted. But whatever. Uh, that's not why we do the show. It's just if you want to, if you want to help out and and you know, and you like what we do and give us a little extra thumbs up. That's always welcome. So, uh, again, thank you so much for joining us on episode 52 of the Locked and Loaded Latinos podcast. Uh, we hope that you all enjoyed the episode this evening, and uh, we will all catch you on next week. Uh, Joe, do you have any other words uh, before we go? Uh, everybody just stay frosty out there. All right, cool. All right. Take care, everyone.